is Australia. This fucking language. Let there be a thousand blossoms blooms for a time But I ain't spending any time on it. Don't stop wearing the speedos. You're listening to Decode, the Tudor Advocates' new podcast series for those Australians who have tuned out or never tuned in to the dark arts of federal politics. It's called being, you wouldn't believe it, a goddamn bloody adult. Welcome to our second interview profile of the Batuta Advocates New Decode series, a podcast that aims to break down the spin and sift through the bullshit that is federal politics. I'm Clancy Overall, editor of the Batuta Advocate. And I'm Errol Parker. Now, today's guest is a heavyweight of the Coalition, the Minister for Agriculture in Northern Australia. He's a federal member for the Division of Maranoa, an electric that covers the entirety of southwest Queensland from Warwick, 130 kilometres west of Brisbane, to the Northern Territory and South Australian borders. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show the thriller from Chinchilla, Batuta's own local member, David Littleproud. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, boys. Good to be with you. Now, um... Obviously, this uh, interview isn't in person because we've caught you at quite a busy time in Canberra. What's going on today down there? Oh, look, yeah, well, it's always madness when you're here, mate. No good can come of us being in Canberra. There's 270-odd egos running around in one room. So not a great thing, but look, especially as a government. But we're going through, uh, obviously, the religious discrimination bill today. And Grace Tame and Brittany Higgins are speaking at the at the press club at lunchtime. And so uh, very... Uh, newsworthy stuff happening in Canberra, which isn't always the way. Now, um, is everyone down there focused on the task at hand, you know, which is obviously governing our nation out of this relentless pandemic, or does it feel like the election campaign started? Is that, is that What's the feeling? Oh, look, the election campaign started all right. I mean, you know, uh, with Albo and, and Scott running around the countryside straight after Christmas, I think the bar's been set, so let's not kid ourselves. And obviously, despite all the titillations that have been in the in the media recently about text messages and all that sort of stuff, you know, at a, at a granular level in a room, we don't talk about that. We actually talk about the fact that we're going to go into caretaker mode in probably seven or eight weeks, and we're just trying to make sure we get stuff done, uh, get it completed, uh, the stuff that we want to get done. So we're sort of on on the timeline. So that it's that's really the the focus at the moment is making sure we get stuff done. So what does campaigning look like in uh, in the seat of Maranoa? I mean, like you're obviously one of the safest seats in in Parliament. What do you do uh, in campaign mode? Now look, the one thing you don't do is door knock. I think you would uh, actually lose votes in Maranoa if you went and knocked on someone's door. Yeah. Uh, what I'd like to do is... Um, Especially in this day yeah. and age. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, mate, what I like to do is just you sort of go to a town, you pull up, you walk the streets, have a yarn to some of the businesses, go and have a feed at the pub, see who's there, have a yarn, then move on to the next town and sort of recycle that all day, every day. And then, you know, always make sure, even when we're not campaigning, I always have a real five to 6.30, whatever town I'm in, I've got to go to the local pub and just listen to the locals and, and have a few with them. And then obviously they know you've been in town, but you get the real people. You think you might be pretty hot when you leave here, but I can tell you the locals in Maranar bring you down pretty quick. They call you a wanker and all sorts of things <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, before you've even first finished your first schooner. Yeah. Honest people. Uh, you're a wanker, yeah. but I'll still vote for you. you know? <laughs> well, I hope so. Yeah. Now, it seems your family's kind of been involved in rural politics for for generations. Your grandfather, George, served in the Chinchilla Local Council. 
Your old man uh, served as a Queensland State Minister under Sir Joe, and now you've taken the little proud surname to Canberra. What is it about politics that attracted you, your old man, and his old man? Yeah, well, look, um, I never knew my grandfather. He died uh, before um, I was alive. He had a complication, died quite young. Mm -hmm. Uh, But my dad got involved uh, primarily because when he died young, uh, Whitlam had the death taxes. Yeah. uh, And my my grandmother and he was running the farms and he was actually a school teacher as well. Uh, We had to sell property and nearly lost it all. And so dad became probably politically motivated then and then got into state politics. And, and obviously Joe made it very clear that he wanted to get rid of death taxes as part of a competitive federation. And, and that attracted Dad. And, and yeah. he actually was one of the ones that actually called Joe up and said it was time for him to retire. Mm. He wasn't a minister under the um, Bajelke-Peterson government. He was only under the Ahern because he just felt that Joe had probably come to an end and it was time that we move forward as, as a national party. And then I got into it because I'm a dad. He's the one person I look up to. He's the guy that I try to base my life and my political career on. Uh, and so I got into it and always had an interest uh, because of him. And he was always about service to the community. So he was the, you know, in the cricket club, the Apex, the Rotaries and all that. And I've always liked that as well because I've never lived in the capital city and no intention to. But those things sort of drive you in little towns and you become part of the community and you give something back. So I'd always had an interest. And when Bruce Scott uh, decided he was going to retire after 26 years, um, Mm. I had a crack and I became the member and and Barnaby made me the Ag Minister about 18 months into it, which uh, was sort of uh, a bit of a shock. And I can tell you there was a few mental demons to get over question time, but Mm -hmm. now every day is a bonus for me. Yeah. Now, as as a bloke who uh, worked as a rural bank manager during the millennium drought, I'm surprised you don't have a few more bullet holes in you. Can you tell us what you learnt in that role at that time? Yeah, look, I'm the only one in Cabinet that doesn't have a university degree and I'm probably the youngest. I left school, uh, I was a cotton Mm -hmm. shipper, and then the National Bank took me up and I just worked out in Western Queensland, Charleville and Kunnamulla and St George and places like that. The one thing you learnt was humility and humanity. You know, you were seeing people at the depths of despair and what the challenge was was to try to navigate them with some dignity and respect. Uh, and, and that was difficult because there's a lot of emotion. What, what was happening in those drought years was, you know, these people were basically going to lose a lot. I, I remember, you know, weekends we would, the bank manager, I was just an assistant, uh, he'd come and pick us up in the bank car and a couple of the uh, young bank fellows and put us in the car with a carton of stubbies and we had to go on the side of roads and, and catch up with the, the farmers because they had to have to have their stock. They had no feed on their properties. Yeah. They were just taking, they were drive, driving these cattle up and down and sheep up and down road and we'd have to go and talk to them about, you know, mate, you're behind. We're going to have to have a tough conversation. And the carton of stubbies wasn't necessarily for us. It was <laughs> actually to actually sit there and show some dignity and respect to them and try to work through it with them. And, and that was probably the, the first lesson I got, um, real lesson in life, in seeing people in the depths of despair coming in. And I, I had a woman come in and see me and she asked, I was probably 19, 20. She came into the bank in a branch and she had sunglasses on and, and for obvious reason, and she asked for $50. Her, her pension was coming in or a drought payment was coming in tomorrow, but she she had nothing in the in the cupboard for her um, kids, and she was, you know, a 35, 40 year old mother that you know was in despair. And here I was, a 90 year old kid, you know, had to make a decision. I, I just thought, well, that's how life can be cruel to you sometimes. Um, I was in a privileged position, and I should use it properly. But she was going to hell and 
and back and you know she and obviously her husband was was not happy and they were just in a, a terrible spot and and just to ask for fifty dollars um, it sort of sort of wakes you up to say that you you've probably been pretty lucky in life. Well, speaking of helping people, David, in as few words as possible, what does the National Party stand for moving forward? Simply looking after regional rural Australia. Uh, mate, there's enough politicians in the, in the cities running around. It's just about us getting their fair share. And that's all it is. You know, we, we feel as though we're the forgotten Australians sometimes. And, and that's not intentional. That's not intentional by the other parties. They're all good people. And I've I got good mates in the Labor Party and I've got good mates in the Liberal Party. But their focus hasn't and isn't necessarily on regional Australia. And our job's just to remind them that, you know what, you, you spend a quid in our part of the world, it actually goes a fair way. And that's the thing is my job is to actually remind them both of that. And I've got to say, at times I've had, had wins on both. Um, so I come to this place not trying to tear anyone down, but to bring regional Australia up. Now, we won't go into the leaked text messages, you know, all that shit that kind of rattled the government over the weekend, the media got into a spin over it, but... It does lead us to, you know, the next question, which is, you know, given everything that is happening, this is the decode element of this podcast. We need to ask you, in your mind, how does the arrangement work? You know, when I say that, what is the structure of this coalition between the National Party and the Liberal Party? It's transactional. Now, while we've been together for 90-odd years, there's been one time when we pulled it apart. But effectively, it is transactional. And so there's a lot of things that we do align on. Uh, and I've got to say, there's things that the National Party in terms of ethos, because we're the agrarian socialists. Yeah. There's things that, that we actually align sometimes with the Labor Party. But on, on many of the economic issues, we, we really do align with the Liberals. But with a sprinkle of making sure that the purity of the market sometimes need government intervention. And that's where we come from as Nats, because invariably, because we don't have that mass in the bush, then markets can sometimes give us a poo sandwich. So, yeah. you know, we've got to make sure we get, we're get we able to temper that and we inject ourselves and sometimes simply just say no. Yeah. Um, sorry, you can't have that or because if you don't give us this. And that's the transactional nature, but it's a cooperative one. You know, we've had a couple of Barneys and a couple of Blues, but that's that's good. That's actually healthy. Yep. Um, I, I don't mind that. I don't mind a bit of bit of a stoush. Don't mind dancing with them sometimes yep. and sort of go right on this one. Sorry, you're not going to get it unless you give us this. And and that's that's what gets our fair share. Um, and you have to do that. It can't be all kumbaya, uh, and it never will be. Well, speaking of communism, David, a lot of our produce in Maranoa ends up in China, and and our relationship with China at the moment is quite strained through no fault of the National Party. Kind of moving forward into this into this next term of government, what plans are in place for the Nationals to re-establish our relationship with Chinese markets? Well, we've we made it clear, to, and I've made it clear to my counterpart that my, my door's always open and my phone's always on, but there are rules in which we have to re-engage in terms of respect. Um, we're not going to trade away our sovereignty. There's been over 100,000 Australians that have lost their lives protecting our democracy and our sovereignty um, and our way of government. Uh, and so we won't give up on that. And if they respect that and understand, um, I'm more than comfortable to work through a pathway of, of dialogue. And, and that's why my phone is on and doors always open, because dialogue is the best way to resolve any any difference. So we'll continue to do that. But what we're also going to do is make sure we diversify market spread risks. And as an old bank manager, I, I can tell you that's one of the things is you shouldn't have market concentration. We used to say that, you know, to, yeah. to the coffers. Well, where you're selling your grain, where you where you sell your cotton, you know, you're spreading your risk. Yeah. Um, so that's why we're pumping money into making sure that we can spread risk 
get new markets, and we have. You know, Indonesia, uh, UK. Dan's on his way to India. Uh, Dan Tian. So yeah. you know that that's what you've got to do. But you've got to treat one another respect. I'm a big believer that trade but will bring the the peace and prosperity globally, mm-hmm. and that that can only be true through dialogue. And and so I'm stand ready, and the Nats stand ready. But we'll make sure that we're never going to sell out any of the values and principles of this country. That's what makes us great. I mean, that's obviously an important point you make there about, you know, not bowing. But, uh, you know, at the same time, there is a lot of uh, populism and, and poking of the bear, you could argue. You know, the, the drums of war, the, the khaki election. Is there a feeling in the National Party that, I mean, and not just with China, but in general, that every fuck up, every scandal coming out of Cronulla is tied to you? <laughs> not necessarily, but, you know, i got to say that there was some apprehension when when obviously um, there was some some statements made about China because we understand the bush that's our was our major market and we understood that concerned about it but I'm not part of the national security committee so I'm not privy to the intelligence that comes through but uh, to a to a granular level but the more and more that I've seen and and then when they released the 14 demands that they expected us uh, to live up to before they'd come and talk to us was a line in the sand that that I felt they'd crossed and, and happy if they to, to retreat to, to start talking again. But so too with many people in re, regional rural Australia, particularly farmers, they didn't want to relent and give up our sovereignty or our democracy in any way. Um, so I, I haven't, we haven't had any any pushback from China, uh, and I have to say the decisions that I've been able to see subsequent around that have been predicated on on intelligence, not on politics, and, and I think. That's where the opposition would be as well. This is where bipartisanship is important. The only difference between us and the opposition on that is about how we would engage in in that dialogue, and that's the only difference. I I think we try to make this bipartisan, and it should be. This is our our nation's sovereignty. Now that Malcolm Turnbull is back where he belongs at Goldman Sachs, (laughs) which member of parliament has the most cattle? It was always that that Malcolm Turnbull, you know, had a couple thousand head of his the belted Galways, whatever they were, in the Hunter Valley, you know, and he always used to say that he had the most cattle out of anyone in Parliament. Who do you think is now the uh, the boss ringer of Parliament? Yeah. Well, I think it's Mark Colton. I'm pretty sure he just yeah. bought a, he just bought another block, and I know he's uh, he's always uh, Instagramming uh, him him bloody mustering his cattle. So I reckon Colton's got us all covered at the moment. I've only got a little cultivation uh, block yeah. that's a little loosened, so I'm out yeah, of that Yeah, with some one. watermelons, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm a chinchilla, yeah. but I loved the story yeah. last week. Mike was waiting for the melon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the watermelon shot put is my favourite event out there and the, yeah. the watermelon festival. Now, um, I want to go back to this idea of the broad tent, you know, the broad church, the big tent the ideology within the coalition because you know we in Batuta have a good understanding of the politics in Western Queensland you know we know your predecessor Bruce Scott we know the state member Lockie Miller we know the a fair few of the mayors we definitely know the catters so to be fair to say as you mentioned before there's a pretty noticeable bent of social conservatism in the bush but there's also that sprinkling of you know agrarian socialism we start talking about grants and we talk about you know help for for primary producers or, or, or miners or whoever facing the elements. How do you marry that, you know? Because the moderate liberal ethos, the one that they're actually trying to put forward now because they're worried about the independence in the inner city and they want to look like these small L kind of turquoise liberals, that actually is the complete opposite of what you guys represent in the bush. There's that free love, marry who you want, 
open the borders, but no safety net for anyone who needs help. That's kind of the uh, the feeling you get from this this modern uh, new liberal. Yeah, and look, I think the bush is changing too. We're becoming more urbanised. I mean, the elastic-sided boot uh, politician that just represents farmers is changing. Like, I've probably got the most dispersed electorate, you know, 43% of Queensland. But even if you go into those towns like Warwick or even Longreach, there's many fam- young families there that aren't tied to agriculture. They're tied yeah. to probably much of the same values and principles that they do in metro areas. But there is that still that conservative nature uh, that runs you put through. You yeah. put the no back in Maranoa. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I just, this is the thing. There were Sydney seats that had a higher no vote than Maranoa. Yeah, yeah. In the yeah. Same. And you know what? One of, the, one of the best stories I heard through that whole story was someone from The Guardian was out um, and was at Roma and talked to this young guy who'd moved from Melbourne and he was he was gay. And, and this journal was trying to say, well, mate, you know, how do you live in Roma? Like, you, you, know, you couldn't live here. This is the conservative hotbed. He said, mate... I'm safer in Roma than I am in Melbourne. These yeah. people really don't care whether I'm whatever. Yeah. They just, so long as I contribute to the community, you're part of it. And mm. I thought that was a really, really good insight into how we live. And, and you know, they get this persona that where there's some conservative hotbed where mm. we're all rednecks and, and chew straw and hay bales. Yeah. But, you ever met a shearer's cook? <laughs> yeah, there's a couple, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, so look, I, I agree. I mean, that, that's where that's where the competitive tension in making sure. But in terms of the evolution of where we're going, our farmers are now thinking more and more about the climate. I just introduced a bill today that I I created myself on a biodiversity stewardship to pay farmers not just for carbon but for improvement in biodiversity. It's a world first, and that's come up with that. Not a lib, yep. uh, not a not a teal independent, but a national party. Because my yep. my farmers are telling me that. Uh, and on markets, I've got to say, when I was in the bank, you know, six, ten years ago, they were all about protectionism. Now they see that the free market's giving them a better return. But what my concern is and what our farmers' concerned are is not necessarily international markets. It's actually some of some of our own corporates, like the supermarkets, who have exploited yeah. our farmers for far too long. That's where I want to square the ledger, the um, where we've got these big corporates that go and tell our farmers, go and go and buy all this land, develop all this land, and we'll give you, you know, we'll we'll take all your, all your crop. And then all of a sudden they turn around, and go, oh, no, no, we found someone else down the road. We're going to take it from. And then they've made all this capital investment. They go broke. And yeah. that's not conduct. That's not what Australian corporate should do. And that's where, you know, I'm sort of, I've really got problems with corporate Australia at times and I get up, I get on my high horse on them. There's a couple of them, you know, supermarkets and, and telcos, Telstra in particular, you know. Yeah. You know, they're the worst run corporates in Australia. Yeah. What is the on the ground issue right now? In Aside from, remove the in, industrial, kind of what, what are the people telling you in the pub? I mean, you know, you can talk yeah. about, Ag, you can talk about mining, but what is the personal kind of gripes that are being put in front of you? Yeah, out in, out in Maranoa, it, it's you know we haven't been hit by COVID, yep. um, but they they want it out of their lives. They actually just want to be able to have the freedom to be able to move interstate or you know go into Brisbane without yeah you know, have all these restrictions. I think that's really what they want. They're making a quid. I mean, we've had probably one of the best seasons we've had in a long time with a few isolated blocks that missed out, but. You know, they're pretty happy. Uh, and and I've got to say, they're happy because we haven't been hit by COVID. And credit where credit's due. I think the Queensland government, you know, they went the hard way in terms of locking everyone out. And that's kept everyone happy. And, and so you've got to give credit where credit's due. That's worked. And I think there was courage from the Premier to open up the borders. She, 
she had to show some courage and she did it and good on her. So I think that all they want now is government out of their lives. They're making a dollar. We don't ask for a lot. Commodities are good. Rain's good. Tourists are good. So if you went through Maranoa at the moment, it's basically making sure they got the roads and the telecommunications. That's probably the biggest gripe I get. Mm-hmm. I probably get more complaints about Telstra than any anyone or anything else yeah. mm-hmm. going around. So our lot in life's pretty good because we're, we're spending some money out there, but it's just those connectivity pieces that'll finish us. But we're, we're a sort of a microcosm out there compared to what's in the city. Our shelves are always got food on it, you know, and ours will, and and the city's will too. It's just a matter of getting over this Omicron piece. Do you agree with this narrative that's being bandied around that throughout the pandemic, and now that we're talking about that, the role of the federal government has shrunk in the way it handles that? Yeah, mate, I think we've got a real lesson in federation. See, see, our job since federation was to collect taxes and protect the borders. And the states, what federation was, was to be competitive. Mm -hmm. And it was created so our forefathers didn't want eight or nine different nations within Australia, but Mm -hmm. they had their own sovereignty. And I think what we're getting is a, a real education in that federation and the powers the states have. They manage the resources, they own the resources, they give the health orders. And what we try to do is, and what Morrison tried to do, was to bring it together in a national cabinet so we had a national approach. But it was always going to be difficult because, you know, the states wanted to go off on different directions, not just for politics, but for their own own circumstances. Because Queensland's circumstances was, in all honesty, different to the outbreaks in New South Wales and Victoria. Mm-hmm. So... Also, the premiers were going to go off on different tangents. So I think this is an education in our system because what happens in our education system at the moment is you go year six, you get taught about it. You might get a trip to Canberra in the snow mm-hmm. uh, and then you forget about it. And all you want is something to happen. You want governments just to make sure the road's there, the doctors are there, the hospitals are there, teachers are there. You don't really care whether it's state or federal government that does it. But I think this is just bringing back where people are getting that education and federation of what our political system is. So moving to this upcoming election in May, uh, what's the biggest priority for the Nationals? Uh, bringing our young people home, mate, uh, yeah. and just getting a fair share. Like, I grew up in a little place called Chinchilla, and, you know, we've lost generations of young people, mm-hmm. and I get they've all wanted to go to the shiny lights of the city, but the amenity of life, if we provide it and getting the infrastructure, is better in regional areas. I think some are actually experiencing that themselves due to COVID. They've realised living on in a 50-square-metre unit isn't all that great, but living mm-hmm. in, in Roma or Chinchilla or, or mm-hmm. Warwick or Kingaroy isn't too bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've got to make sure that we get our fair share in terms of, of the infrastructure to support that, but also career pathways and making sure that we open up new new opportunities for them to come home, whether it be in ag or whether it be in research and technology. And that's why re- investing in regional universities is important to us so that our young people know you can work. You don't have to come back and work on a farm. You can come back and do something else and yeah. you can have – and we're keeping that best and brightest. And that's the, that's the thing that has always driven me and always shit me is that we've lost those young people. And I was determined – I've never lived outside Maranoa mm-hmm. and my legacy needs to be – that the next generation that live, whether in Longreach or Chinchilla or Warwick, they don't have to go away. They can stay out there and we can educate them. They can have a career pathway. They can raise their family. They can make a quid and they can be great Australians. Well, I was in Longreach the other day and there's a new cafe there that looks like it's straight out of New Farm. I mean, <laughs> I mean the people the are coming home, yeah. 
It's yeah. not just the Batuta bitter. It's also the, yeah. the lattes out there now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's all, it's all. I mean, there is a big post-COVID decentralization. You might have noticed that Warwick's being pitched as the new bloody Mornington Peninsula, the Southern Downs there. There's a lot of, a uh, lot of tree change happening. Is there also the infrastructure for that? Say if you do get that wave. Say if, you know, uh, a hypothetical yeah. is the Japanese are in the harbours again and everyone has to go bush. Do you have the infrastructure for that? Well, look, I've got to say our roads networks is, has increased exponentially uh, and that's a partnership between federal and state. I, I think the biggest constraint, there's two big constraints for us. One is telecommunications in, in mobility. I think... Yep. NBN's got better, um, even even the satellites got better, um, making sure we just got that mobility of mobile phone towers. Housing is an issue. You know, I've got some communities now where there's only two or three houses available. Uh, housing stock's gone down. So helping local and state government get that stock up. You've got a Quilpy. You know, we've got a local uh, government out at Quilpy. Uh, they opened up, I think it was 20 or 30 blocks and, and were selling yeah. for 100 bucks. If you came out and built a house, and I'm like, that's the sort of – ingenuity you get in the bush and you and if you empower local governments to do that they'll do it themselves and that's where i think our job as state and and federal governments is to help them do that and and you we have got the amenity i mean you go to some of these country towns now like you, you have you can get a, a better coffee there you can, you, than you can in sydney or melbourne you know you got water parks you got all these things that we're that we're building out here and the schools are getting better they're yeah. actually most schools have got uh, most towns have got a private school and i'm safer in a chinchilla or a or a Warwick or a Kingaroy, if something happens to me, the local hospital look after me until the chopper comes and picks me up. Yeah. I don't sit on the ramp in a hospital in Brisbane. I'm actually flying onto the roof and I go straight to a bed. I'm yeah. I've got <laughs> I've got first class service all the way. I mean, so we're not disadvantaged. And then I think this is the narrative we've also got to get through is we're not disadvantaged living out there. We're not a charity case. We just need our fair share and people will come. Well thank you for uh, joining us today. David Little, proud. I just want to finish with one question. In your time campaigning through the bush, what do you think is the wildest pub you've walked into in all of the Maranoa? Oh, yeah. I think the the good old birdcage at Longreach. Uh, Gav, Gav yeah. Basket out there runs a great pub, a lot of fun, and it's always harmless fun, but you can't go past the birdcage. We would have said Longreach as well, but the pub's burnt down since then, the old Lyceum. Lyceum. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the old Lyceum. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it, it, it... Old Lethal was... He used to run that. He used to keep his F-250 out the front with his number plates out the back. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 Any pub that's a tinder box on a Friday night is likely to burn down at some point. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. David, and um, all the best for the hand grenades that are going to roll into the coalition in about two hours when Grace Tame and Brittany Higgins get on stage. Yeah, uh, and look, that's that's fair. And look, we've yeah. just got to work through this and work through this together on both yeah. sides. And I've got to say down here, both sides are working through that and, and yeah. it has been good. It's not just a coalition problem, it's all our problem. Yeah. And, and I think that's what you'd expect us to do is fix that together. Mm-hmm. And also, is there any move to move all, you know, uh, internal correspondence onto Wicker or uh, any kind of encryption apps? Signal. Signal. Got a signal now. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Thanks for joining us, mate. All the best. Thanks for having me, boys. Thanks, Dave.